From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Thursday. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Mullady is in the house. Grab one of these open phone lines. It will be crowded later. Grab an open phone line while we have it. I don't want you to miss the opportunity to have unfettered access to a living, breathing Dominican. Yes. So grab one of those phone lines now. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line if you're outside the United States and Canada at 1-205-271-2985. Or you can send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, the ultra-peaceful Father Brian Mullady. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Peaceful. Yeah, you're going to talk about how we can be peaceful just like you. Right. <laughs> what about me? But, yeah, what <laughs> peace is, yes. Well, you know, this Sunday's gospel it has the famous line in, of Christ, peace I leave you, my peace I give with you, but not as the world gives it do I give you. And this represents the situation of the church between the Ascension and the Second Coming, because soon we're going to be celebrating the Feast of the Ascension. What is peace? You remember when Jesus appears in the upper room, he wishes them peace. Now that's a common Near Eastern greeting, shalom or salam, which means peace. But many people have the idea that peace is merely the absence of external conflict. And then that's not what the peace is that Christ is speaking of. You know, you go to a graveyard and everybody's at peace. The reason they're all at peace is because they're all dead. There's nothing going on. There is no conflict because there's no people. There's no interpersonal relationships. Sometimes in our order, we have a joke that the most ideal community is the one in the cemetery. Everybody gets along in the cemetery. <laughs> Although for some reason in God's sense of humor, the people that didn't get along so well on earth are often buried next to each other in the cemetery. Peace, as Christ is speaking about it, is interior peace, not exterior peace. It's possible to be in a situation where nothing's exteriorly at peace, but you experience an interior peace and calm. And what is the source of this interior peace? Well, what would be the source of the interior warfare? 
the source of the interior warfare is dealing with concupiscence. It's dealing with the lust that we still inherit as a result of the original sin. In other words, it's our unbridled egotism, which each of us must address when we receive grace. Now, of course, during the time of Easter and looking forward to Ascension, we're thinking especially about grace because grace is what allows us to return to the condition which alone can bring us true peace, which is resting in God and sharing his life. So the peace which Christ is speaking of there is the peace of an interior conscience that is righteous. And it's righteous because God has made it righteous. And it's righteous also because it's ordered so that the passions serve the will and the will serves the intellect. And whenever we perform a human act, all three of those faculties all act together and in a meritorious act, they act together in communion with God as a result of grace. And this is what is truly meant by peace. Again, it's not just the absence of conflict or something where you sign a peace treaty, but um, no one uh, actually uh, is changed by it. It has to do with true interior change, an interior change in which we set our hearts. Remember, we began Easter with that famous line from Colossians, you who've been raised with Christ, set your heart on higher realms where Christ dwells at the right hand of the Father. Because you have died, he says, now you have to rise again in your spirit. And there's another line in St. Paul where he says, our conversation must be in heaven. This is not to belittle this world, which of course is the road by which we get to heaven, but it's to say that we need to keep heaven before our eyes and before our mind, if we're A, to go there, that's the final point of the journey, but B, if we're truly to experience the tranquility of order in a conscience which is rightly formed according to the divine-like qualities which were created in us the day we were made. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We have an email from Bethany, and she says, Why in Christianity is the Holy Spirit considered male so that the Trinity is male, male, and male? Well, of course, obviously God doesn't have a sex because he doesn't have a body, and he's infinite and eternal. But what we do is that we attribute certain qualities to the persons in God, uh, which we understand here on earth, but they're by analogy given to the nth degree in uh, God. So the Father, for example, is the source of life because he's the creator. Well, remember, all three of the persons create. And the uh, Father also is steadfast. He's also, in a way, strict, but he's also loving, all three. 
The word is, of course, much easier to interpret in this way because the word became flesh in Jesus. So he's, Jesus is obviously a male figure. The Holy Spirit's action is a little bit more difficult to identify, but if you consider the fact that the word was the means by which creation was accomplished, and that the loving force behind creation is the love of the Holy Spirit. The primary moving force in nature is not matter and energy. The primary moving force is the love of the Holy Spirit. Because all things came forth from God, and now in the love of the Holy Spirit, by an attractiveness, all things seek to return to God, of course, only human beings can fully return to God. Other things do so in us because we alone have a spirit. So that's why we sing Veni Creator, Spiritus, or Come Holy Ghost, Creator Blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Uh, it's just a matter of us trying to understand more what's going on within the Trinity by attributing certain qualities here on earth. But obviously God doesn't have a sex, so you can't uh, attribute this in a strict sense, but more in a sense of an an analogy. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. This next one is a, it's an interesting question. Um, Scott was wondering... If a person is not sincerely sorry for their sins when they go to confession, but they are sorry for the fact that they don't feel sorry, can they be absolved? Um, so they don't, don't necessarily feel bad about what they've done, but they feel I bad about th- the fact I, that they don't well, feel bad. I, I, oh, I don't think so, no. Because you have to have contrition for what you did. Um, and just being sad that you wish you had contrition isn't the same as having it. It's like wishful thinking. So, now, it depends on what you mean now, remember, by sorrow. Some people think sorrow is manufacturing feelings of sadness. We're not talking about the level of feelings. We're talking about the fact that you realize that what you did was wrong and you want to change. That's what sorrow means there. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. couple of open lines at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you can check out EWTN, not only EWTN's bookmark, but now you can check out the short uh, synopsis of the episodes, EWTN's bookmark brief, and we can even send it straight to your email inbox, simply log on to EWTN.com slash subscribe. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
888-528-3986. All the answers for any of the questions you have about the Catholic faith with our Thursday host, Father Brian Milady. Um Henry is dealing with a relative, and he wants to know if you can help him in responding uh, to that relative who claims that the church does not treat women well. Oh, gosh, we just have all these women questions. Um, <laughs> there's no religion that treats women better than the Catholic Church, I'm sorry. Uh, the Muslims, as you know, they treat them like chattel. Um, I don't care what they say, that's the actual facts. Uh, Judaism is much better because, of course, it's um, it has to do with, uh, well, for one thing, the mother of the Messiah was really important. Um, even Protestantism, uh, they had this very severe view of the family where because the father was the head, he was basically the dictator, and the woman was supposed to sort of just keep her mouth shut, basically. And then, of course, you deal with the Eastern religions. In Hinduism, they used to throw the wives on the funeral pyre with the husbands, and it was only Christian missionaries that stopped that. I mean, I know we have an uh, opposite uh, um, reputation in fake media, but, I mean, that after all, it is fake media because they don't bother to do any research. They have these politically correct things they say that aren't true. Now, look, in Catholicism, for one thing, women, it's one place where women for centuries have been able to hold authority. Take abbesses and abbeys of nuns, where women were educated. The same thing is true with the nuns. Also, Teresa of Avila was highly educated by her father, who taught her to read and allowed her to have uh, full access to his libraries. We, of course, prefer the Virgin Mary. Uh, in, in the 20th century, again, I know that people belittled us. They said that we didn't treat the women right. But, I mean, again, you have sisters who were administrators of hospitals, presidents of colleges, long before that was true in most places in the, uh, in the Western world. So, I mean, we uh, revere womanhood. However, it's true, we don't think that a woman's role is the same role as a man's role. But we believe they're complementary and both are necessary for a complete picture of what is going on with a human being. And if we say that men should be the head of the household, we don't mean he's a dictator. As Thomas Aquinas put it quite well, a wise governor to a free citizen. You know, the wife isn't just a submissive slave. She's a free citizen too, and she has her part to play in the whole thing. So uh, I don't, I've never quite understood where this reputation comes. I was spent most of my youth being educated by women. Uh, I had sisters, you know, for a good bit of my elementary school training. And that wasn't true in the public schools when I went there in high school. We had some women teachers, but not. But we also had a lot of men teachers. But I mean, when you consider that, that was kind of a world of women, they formed a whole generations of Catholic children and also nurses in hospitals. Um, I remember one old nun... You know, they weren't, they weren't uh, shy retiring violence by any stretch of the imagination. I had one old nun who in the 70s was 85, 
and she'd been the head of surgery in the, you know, the nursing surge, uh, surgery in the hospital she was in back for oh many, many, many years. And I actually saw a picture of her when she was a young woman, and she was striking and intelligent. And one of the things she told me, she said, oh, you know, this was really difficult running this hospital. It was the only hospital in the town. They didn't have a public hospital yet. And I used to say when we'd have surgery and they have a birth, doctor, you get those hands off those tubes, doctor. There'll be no tube tying in this hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was right on the, she'd tell them off basically, and keep them from doing things. Because, you know, in the 1930s, if doctors felt people had too many children, they just tied their tubes without even asking them. They wouldn't even mm -hmm. tell them. Mm -hmm. So the sisters had an um, a, a interesting control over the whole, the whole bit. And, you know, they were dealing with lots of money. And uh, so I, I don't quite understand what this whole... Uh, thing is that we don't seem to treat women exactly correctly. So we appreciate the email today. To the phones we go. Laura is in the great state of Louisiana, a first-time caller, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Laura, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I tuned in a few minutes ago and got the end of a conversation, and your host was saying that God is not our woman, and I have issue with that. Uh, I'm retired. I went to Catholic school when I was a kid, and uh, God was a man, and we still call him he, and he's our father. He made Adam in his image, and Adam's a man. So I don't understand. I've never, never heard that before. Well, Adam is a man because he has a body, but God doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a sex. Uh, he's infinite and eternal. We attribute certain things to God from earthly life to help us to understand him more. In fact, when we had this long debate about feminism in the Catholic Church, there was a great book where they were examining the images for God in Scripture. And you know, in the Old Testament, he's portrayed in two ways. First of all, as of course the Father, who's all-powerful, but then you also have God portrayed as, if a mother, Jesus himself says, as a mother could reject her, her children, could I reject you? So there's a feminine side to God. Now, the masculine side emphasizes God's transcendence. The feminine side represents his imminence in this world. And the author of this book was saying, yes, it's true, there's both. Remember, God's transcendence, the fact that he's infinite and eternal, it's what allows it to be intimately present here in everything, his imminence, and that its purpose is to return to him as transcendent. So the, the images for God as masculine and feminine begin and end with masculine. That's why father is so important. But they also have feminine as a part of it. And that's why the uh, affirmation of God as having certain motherly qualities. But obviously God doesn't have a body, so I don't know what we can take issue with. Uh, you have to have a body to have sex, and to have sex, you can't be a mother or father unless you have a sex. So 
And most of these, Father, if I'm not mistaken, you know, a lot of this stuff is is trying to make comprehensible that which to us is incomprehensible. Right. It's using analogous terms to explain something that, from our point of view, we can understand, but then we have to try to project it to the infinite. And ultimately, God is a mystery. Uh, the Trinity is a mystery. Christ is a mystery. We can't prove it totally, but it helps us to understand better. <laughs> Thanks so much, Laura. We appreciate the phone call today. Yes. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We'd love to hear from you today. If you're outside the United States and Canada and you have a question for Father Milady, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 um tim would like to know how do we answer people who say that reason has no place in theology well uh god created reason because it's truth. And reason itself reflects the infinite truth, which is God. And so whether it's reason or faith, it has its origin in God, and it also reflects God. And God created truth as unity, although the origins of truth are different. So when it comes to reason, that's something we can do on our own, if we're intelligent enough. Not everybody's that intelligent. Uh, but then there are things that we can't answer by reason. For example, during this season of the resurrection, we know that man should rise from the dead because man has a body and a spirit, and the spirit is immortal. Reason could teach you that. But the fact that man does rise from the dead is something that we have to have revelation to teach us. Faith is necessary there. The same thing is true of the mystery of Christ. You can say, well, there's more that has been revealed to us about Christ that makes sense than anything we could think of, but we can't prove that God became man in Christ, so it's irrefutable from reason alone. We need faith for that. And the same with the Holy Trinity. So uh, God is the source of both reason and faith, both of which involve truths, and whose truths are not uh, incompatible with each other or at war with each other, but, com but in fact rest together. Uh, the one is deeper than the other, and the one presupposes the other. And in fact, we use terms from reason or philosophy to help us to explain theology. For instance, when it comes to the nature of the Trinity, the Church canonized and used certain terms in Greek philosophy like person and nature and relation. Uh, all those are philosophical terms. And that's why you have to study philosophy in order to study faith. I know that uh, a lot of people don't think that's true, especially seminarians. <laughs> um, I'm always amused by they have to study philosophy for two years, and the church was threatening actually three years recently because they know philosophy is so important. But um, they don't know why they're studying it. They think, well, this is just all bumble you know, gobbledygook. 
I'm saying things that I don't understand, etc. But when they get to theology, then all of a sudden they realize why they had to study that stuff before in philosophy, because you can't understand Catholic philosophy unless you understand a certain kind of the, uh, the philosophy, because the terms come from there and the ideas come from there. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Plenty of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Lizette, call back. We want to hear from you. We saw that you fell off, so give us a call back at 833-288-3986. You know, I wanted to follow up to your last response, uh, Father Brian. Why do you think it is down through the ages that um, those opposed to the faith have always tried to put reason at odds with faith? Uh, Well, first of all, because once you study reason uh, and the terms used from it, you can see what heresies are all about much more easily. Secondly, I think that there is a prejudice, as there was against the Old Testament, remember, at one point. There were people who thought you shouldn't read the Old Testament. I think there's a prejudice against anything, especially Bible Christians, that's not from the Bible must be, this isn't true or it's not important. And so the famous point is, will Athens meet Jerusalem? And Luther and company and all the Protestants basically maintained, I shouldn't say all, because some of the Episcopalians still, and Lutherans still held to reason somewhat, but uh, they maintained that um, all that wasn't from faith was uh, or grace was sin. So there was no reason to have any kind of interest in philosophy. Luther himself hated philosophy. Um, there's a, a pious story and I'd love to know what the origin of it is, but it's mentioned in some of the Thomas in the 20th century that when Luther was burning books, he wanted to burn the Summa, but he couldn't <laughs> find anything, anyone who was willing to part with his copy <laughs> because he hated reason. Everything that wasn't from grace was sin for him. And I think it's that kind of prejudice that's at the origin of that. Because, you know, faith and reason are both helpful to each other. Um, I remember one uh, person I knew who was a very devout Catholic and had some very good things to say, but he told me one time, well, I don't have any interest in St. Thomas, you know. All that's just that reason and all that stuff. So someone said, are you going to argue? And I said, why argue with a person who's got his mind made up already? It seems to be, it's, that's like saying I'm going to box someone, but I'm going to keep one hand tied behind my back. I mean, both of them are absolutely important and useful because they're both reflections on God's truth. So um, I, I just don't uh, Dominicans just have no interest in that. And <laughs> you also remember that the God of reason and the God of faith were sometimes considered to be in conflict with each other to such an extent 
the, the people influenced by Islam, remember, because uh, uh, Allah really has no nature you could define. And he just sits up there in absolute transcendence and he can change his mind tomorrow about the truth and that alters the world. So they, there were these people called the Latin Averroists after the Arab philosopher Averroes in the Middle Ages and the Muslim way of dealing with the whole thing because they couldn't exactly deny that Aristotle was brilliant and people like that as they said, well, there's two truths. There's the truth of faith and the truth of reason and they can contradict each other and both be true. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't make any sense. No. Because if God is the origin of all truth, he can't contradict himself. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's just um, completely incomprehensible to think how anyone can think that and yet lots and lots of Christians do. So, Next stop for us is the great state of Indiana. Mike is in Indiana listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Mike, you're on with Father Brian. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay. Uh, I was uh, wondering, I've heard uh, that uh, Europe has been known as Christendom, and... uh, for example, I watched a movie called Dracula recently, and it had um, Vlad the Impaler, I believe, and um, he was defending Christendom in that movie is what was said. So I want to know that if Europe is Christendom and why why it has been that. For her. All right. Well, Christendom refers to kingdoms that are um, majority uh, Christian. And, of course, for most of the history of the church, that's been Catholic. So the whole idea of Christendom is that 99% of the people in your state are Christian. And as a result, the Christians got involved in wars with people who are traditionally trying to impose other religions on them. And that's especially true of Islam. The so-called Vlad the Impaler was, who was a count in um, Transylvania, which was a part of Christendom at that time, um, was defending his country against the Muslims. Now, of course, he had a particularly gruesome way of doing so, but people had particularly gruesome ways of execution in those days. So he used to impale them on stakes. You know, in England, one of their, their means of execution uh, was to, uh, you'd hang a person until they were not quite dead. Then you'd take them down and you'd disembowel them. (laughs) And then you'd burn their bowels in front of them while they were still alive. Uh, After the horses had basically, the the final death was, I think the horses were all tied to all four extremities and they were ripped apart. I mean, there were gruesome (laughs) bones of execution have been open to everybody, believe me. But uh, the idea was that they were defending the Christian religion against attack. And that this was so identified with politics that they also, the secular rulers, aided in this defense through secular armies. Now, it's true they often had a Christian theme, as is the case with the Crusades, for example, or the Battle of Lepanto, for instance, or the defense of... um, 
Vienna or many, many other places. So that's the origin of it, yeah. Next up is Mary. She is in Urbana, Illinois, listening today to Holy Family Radio. Mary, thanks for calling. You're on with Father Brian. Hi, Jack. Hi, Father Brian. Okay, here's my question. Uh, are there an infinite or a finite number of angels? <laughs> well, they're not infinite in the sense that God is infinite. Nothing is infinite in the sense that God is infinite. So there are a finite number of angels, but there's plenty of them, believe me. And uh, you got to remember that angels, ex uh, each a there are guardian angels, each one of whom was created, and I think this is a marvelous uh, sign of divine love and care for each one of us to take care of us personally. So there's a finite number, but there's lots and lots of them. Yeah. And we're not making any more? No, no. They were created once at the beginning of the world. And as you know, at that time, because of the angelic nature, they don't have a body, so they can't convert back and forth um, their choices. They're such purely intellectual beings that in their original choice, it was either for self or God. And their pilgrimage ended with that choice. And so when they chose self, they got it. That's called hell. You just live with yourself forever. And you never can experience communion with God because you're not willing to give up your ego to do that. And if they chose God, then they live with God forever. And that's, you know, St. Michael and the good angels. So... Um, but there are lots and lots of them, yes. Uh, God bless you, Mary. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of New York. Dennis is in New York listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Dennis, you're on with Father Brian. Good afternoon, Father Brian. And if I could... Just before I ask my question, if you could please remember an intention of mine in your prayers tonight, that would Gladly. be wonderful. Glad. Okay, Father Brian, how do we get the word out? Uh, next month is Pride Month, and in a Christian and a loving way, we treat our gay brothers and sisters, but we can't accept it. And how do we get the bishops to clear up all the confusion within the pews, where I have Catholic friends who, out of respect for their gay friends, are going to intend a gay pride parade, or attend a gay marriage. I said, you can't do that as a Catholic. Yeah, that's against our religion to support that. Uh, you can be friendly to these people, but you cannot support what they're doing. It's in, as the Pope said, it's intrinsically evil behavior. Now, uh, they said, well, President Biden, he married two gays in the Oval Office when he was vice president. And he's receiving communion every week, and no one says anything. And I, I threw my hands up, and I said, I'm going to call Father Brian. It's that. <laughs> well, aren't you nice to think I could resolve this issue? <laughs> um, what I will say is very interesting that uh, we recently made some shows for EWTN for the fall on tolerance. And Bishop Sheehan once said that the West, of course, suffers from the wrong kind of tolerance. And what he meant by that was um, the whole pr purpose of tolerance is that evils you can't change without calling, causing worse disorders uh, or uh, taking away greater goods, 
you have to live with up to a point. So he said the real tolerance is tolerance for people, but not for ideas. Whereas in the West, and he was talking really in the 1930s and 40s, we've reversed it to be tolerance for ideas, but not for people. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see this today where anybody who preaches that there might be another way to look at things, they're, they're uh, what is it, they're canceled. That's cancel mm -hmm. culture, you know. Tolerance for ideas, but not for people. Now, what we want to emphasize but, of course, it doesn't always come through with the people who are very vociferously interested in the gay movement. What we want to explain is that uh, we uh, welcome the person, but not this philosophy of life. This philosophy of life is inimical to Christianity because it's inimical to the family and to sex and to the, reason, the way God made the world. So, as you're absolutely correct to say that we shouldn't attend these events because that's saying we tolerate the ideas. We don't tolerate the ideas. But by the same token, everybody isn't out gay hunting, you know, to beat them up or to execute them or some, or as the Muslims do, throw them off roofs. You know, <laughs> that's what they do. Um, uh, we don't want to kill them or whatever, but we want to explain to them their behavior is contrary to Christian life. And so there are groups, as you know, of very orthodox Christian Catholics who have people who say they have a gay orientation and they try to encourage them to chastity, just as you would a person with a heterosexual orientation that's not married. And we can't, gay marriage was came in, because the people that were gay wanted everybody to say, well, it's just normal and natural like the other. No, it's not. And we need to be clear about saying that. On the other hand, I'm not, you know, out, uh, like I say, uh, in a vigilante way trying to kill gays or, or jail them or any of that stuff. That's not right either. So uh, how you can get that through, I don't really know, except to te teach it from the pulpit. But even then you'll have people who absolutely refuse to accept it. And all, uh, I remember I had a confession. I, won't, I can't tell you where because, of course, it's by in the seal, but a person whose relative was gay. And this priest told him, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, it, it is a sin, a gay action. And I wanted to say, now let's talk about why he does it. And she, the person just walked out. They weren't interested in listening. So it's very hard to do sometimes. But attendance or blessing isn't the way to do it. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but uh, I don't wish to engage in any politics at all. But we are not making our doctrine based on what some Catholic who says he's Catholic does, even if he's president. After all, we did have kings that slew archbishops before altars, and they were Catholic. <laughs> mm -hmm. So just because a person does it and they say they're Catholic doesn't mean that they're uh, models for us of what Christianity should be. Of course, in the case of the kings that killed the archbishops, they were definitely excommunicated, <laughs> and uh, they had to make penance to get back in. 
um, and their countries were put under interdict by the Pope, which meant that there was no possibility of mass communion. <laughs> you couldn't, as one British historian said, you couldn't be born and you couldn't die <laughs> <laughs> under an interdict. Well, we don't do that now. Um, some people think we should. Some people think we shouldn't. Uh, I honestly don't know the solution to that, and it's quite a bit above my pay grade, but I know it's not a good idea to just attend and bless it. That's not proper. Be sure to check out Blessed to Play with Ron Meyer this Sunday afternoon at 4.30 Eastern Time. This week, his guest is Thomas Wirtz, who's the current director of Varsity Catholic, and they'll talk about bringing faith to athletes on college campuses and some of the challenges that lie ahead in competitive athletics. That's Blessed to Play with Ron Meyer Sunday afternoon, 4.30 Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next stop is Covington, Kentucky. Art is in the great uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky listening to Sacred Heart Radio. Art, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Well, thank you. Thank you, Father Brian, for being a priest. Um, my question is, um, I married a uh, Seventh-day Adventist, and we used to argue about, uh, I would say, uh, I thought God or Jesus and such would change their mind, and of course she argued that uh, God never changes his mind. And I realize that's what you're going to say, God never changes his mind. So my question to you is, if God never changes his mind, uh, why should we pray? Oh, well, that's an easy question to answer. In fact, it was part of a famous letter written by St. Augustine called the Letter to Proba. Uh, the reason is because the formation of God's mind, in some cases he determines to... Um, depend on whether we pray or not. And that's not for his benefit, but it's for ours. Because we need to express the fact that we need these things and we will rely on God for these needs. So it's not so much that God changes his mind as the fact that the manner in which he's formed his mind is that his granting of this favor will depend upon whether the person prays or not in order to call forth from us the, um, the dependence we have on God for everything we have and are. The Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about the fact that some people say that their prayers aren't answered, and they very graphically state that the first answer to all prayer is the transfor uh, transformation of the praying heart. In other words, the fact that you know you need God for everything and that everything depends on him, you yourself humbly acknowledge. And for this particular need, you humbly acknowledge that you need God to help you with this. And if uh, God has decided, or if he's, when he, and this is when he created the world, because as far as he's concerned, the world is over, you know, the whole of time is transcendent and eternity already. But when he created the world, he, would, he decided that these things would be determined, and some of them by whether the human being acknowledged him or not. Thanks, Art. We appreciate that call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Time for a couple more phone calls at 833-288-3986. Sarah is in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening to us on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sarah, you have one of the 
Um, one of the most common questions in all of Christendom for Father Brian today. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you, and thank you, uh, Father Brian, for taking my call. So I lost a pet, uh, Bella, about five months ago, and I know that the Bible speaks about creatures in heaven, and I just, you know, for me, I hope I see her again one day. And I just wondered, do pets go to heaven? Uh, where does the Bible speak about creatures in heaven? Um, it it ta- talks about um, a creature with multiple eyes. and um, Oh, that kind of creature. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's a fanciful image for Satan and, or things like that. It's it's not about a dog or a mosquito or a cat or something like that. Um, what I will say is this. Uh, obviously, the new heavens and the new earth, remember, they have no sun or moon. And the Lamb of God is their lamp. That's what lights it up. And heaven, therefore, is only about human beings. Now, Will your pet be there? Well, if your pet was there, they'd have to have a resurrected body in the sense that you're there. And they should not be able to ever die again in the sense that you're there. And you can't reserve it to just your pet then. You have to have dogs and snakes and mosquitoes and COVID viruses and all that stuff there too. So the way I always like to put it is that since you always remember you know, those who were on earth with you and gave you pleasure and help. Of course, in heaven, you'll see your friends, but also your pet's always with you because you remember him or her, and your pet gave you great pleasure and joy, and so you bring them with you. But there are lots of problems. Now, I know some of the Franciscans are absolutely convinced (laughs) they're animals in heaven, uh, but the thing is, there's all kinds of problems with that idea. Basic one being that then the animal would have to have a resurrected body, and they wouldn't have to have you know they wouldn't have to eat. Nobody could devour anybody else. Lions couldn't eat lambs. Um, all kinds of things like that. So uh, a lot of those things are figurative representations of the world being at peace, and all the creatures that did exist and gave. Um, pleasure, order, and beauty to the world have their purpose as returning to God. But I believe, personally, they return to God in us. Uh, Quickly, we'll head to Liz in the great state of Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Liz, just a couple minutes left with Father Brian. What's your question today? Hi. Am I allowed to go to a backyard wedding for a niece who's effectively an atheist, but she's uh, my godchild. And I've been invited to this backyard wedding on the, end, uh, the on the other end of the country, and... And you're a godchild uh, of an atheist. Is it going to be a sin if I go to her wedding in a backyard? She was baptized, but she wasn't raised going to church and, you know, anything. Yeah, but she's an atheist. I mean, what... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. I, I always fall short of saying something's a sin, but it certainly is something that you should realize is inappropriate for a Catholic, because uh, you're blessing what she's doing as true marriage, and since she's 
baptized Catholic, it's not. And so your very presence there suggests that you not only approve of her, remember we were talking intolerance about ideas and people, it's not just approving her as a person, it's approving of her ideas. And we don't allow marriages like that except by rare, very rare uh, exception and certainly not of people who, even though they're baptized Catholic, are unbelievers now. I mean, there's lots of people that have been baptized Catholic. Stalin, after all, was a seminarian, you know. And Hitler was an altar boy. So that doesn't mean, however, that their practices correspond to the Christian religion in any sense of the imagination. So my personal opinion is that it's something you should avoid. And uh, we had an email from John, and he wanted to know, what are your suggestions, Father Brian, for the most important spiritual reading? Oh, yes. Uh, some other people have asked that, too. Um, in Conversation with God is very good, which is a multiple series Opus Dei puts out. Um, Divine Intimacy is excellent by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, and it has one that corresponds to the old liturgy, which I believe Tan puts out, and one that corresponds to the readings in the present liturgy, and I know that's published by Ignatius Press. Oh, I didn't realize that existed, the second. Yes, I believe it. Tan still puts it out, yes. Hmm, interesting. And um, let's see. Um, sacred, are, sacred Scripture wouldn't hurt, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Well, I assume they meant the Bible, too. But uh, uh, the Bible is, of course, the center of our religion. So, yeah. Well, that, that certainly is going to give them plenty to contemplate, just the little bit that you've given them right That's there. Right. That's Father, right. would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. We'll finish out another great week tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless.